I'm Alfonso Mendoza, host of the My Ed Tech Life podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. You're listening to the Ed Creation Podcast. We bring you stories from educational leaders about the instructional movements, resources, tools, and practices that are reshaping learning. My door into teaching was through a women's and children's shelter um, through Volunteers of America. I taught uh, self-esteem classes and art therapy to kids. I speak Spanish, so I used my Spanish to help organize, inspire, I guess just help kids be their best selves within a women's and children's shelter environment. So amongst trauma, amongst hmm, lack of resources, really some kids who were pretty shut down in their experience of not just learning, but the world. This is today's guest, Julia Fliss. Following Julia's work at the Women's Shelter, she felt drawn to enter the public education system. And as a first step, she went to work as a paraprofessional at a middle school with a high number of English learners. We had a lot of kiddos who came to us who were undocumented, who were seeking safe space as versus the countries and locations they came from prior. I felt at home with those kiddos. You don't have to talk to Julia very long to realize that she is a thoughtful and innovative educator who places top priority on building deep relationships with her students. We conducted this interview at the end of a day, long after students had been dismissed, but kids were still hanging about in her classroom. And we paused our conversation multiple times while she conferred, encouraged, and offered warm goodbyes to her kiddos. Following her stint as a paraprofessional, Julia taught at the Florence Crittenden School for Teenage Families. I became part of that family in helping kiddos understand how to not just take care of themselves and understand the system that they were in, in coming to the United States, but also how to care for an infant. Because these kids had made a choice that created family at a very young age, and they didn't understand the system they were in at the start. So we use systems thinking from the start, inside out and outside in, to help them create a pathway to their own success and happiness. Julia later transitioned to the alternative teaching program at Denver West High School. I realized, wow, this is why I'm on the planet. This is who I am. This is how I want to move through the world. And teaching for me became empowering kids to recognize that they're on their own learning journey and they actually have some control. They have input. They get to own their journey in a way that allows them to be their best selves. Julia was asked to help launch the Denver Public Schools online high school, but not surprisingly, she discovered that online school didn't really suit her highly relational teaching style and philosophy. But she still found ways to connect with her students and connect them to the world outside of their virtual classroom. We took a couple of service learning trips. We visited some homeless shelters and some teen resource centers in Denver. And so I got to use that uh, that flexible scheduling as a way to help connect kids with what they needed in their worlds again, um, and also to branch out and see the world differently. 
After 21 years of teaching numerous content areas in a wide variety of settings, Julia is currently the World Studies teacher at Evergreen Middle School. We reached out to her to learn more about the resource that helps facilitate student voice, activism, and project-based learning, all of which have defined Julia's teaching career. I discovered and connected with the Institute of Humane Education in two different ways. Um, First, I'm on the board of another organization, nonprofit called Human Restoration Project, Mm -hmm. kind of a grassroots, humane education, progressive, let's change the way we're doing education right now. And from the inside out, outside in, empower teachers to access resources they need to create that upside down, that flipping of a system in a classroom. Um, And through, so through that group, and then through another organization called Inspire Citizens, Um, I found the work of Zoe Weil. When I found her work, I first actually saw the word solutionary and was like, what is that? I just was drawn to it. I couldn't get enough of the solutionary mindset, the solutionary framework, uh, the solutionary guidebook. And as we we connected, I got to ask her questions on Twitter. They happened to be editing their guidebook. And so she asked some of my kids to help edit the guidebooks to make sure it was student friendly. And we began using it in my language arts classroom as a way to help kids really be mindful of the process we're using to take action on what we call personalized action campaigns. A little context. The Institute for Humane Education, founded in 1997, exists to educate people in intersectional ways on issues of human rights, environmental sustainability, and animal protection. They offer a philosophy, framework, and resources to help schools integrate a solutionary approach into existing curriculum. In addition, teachers can obtain training and even advanced degrees and certificates through IHE's partnership with Antioch University. It is a learning space for teachers who are looking to practice humane education. They're looking to connect their education with the world, bring in elements of systems thinking, take a look out at the world as we do in so much as it's our classroom and we get to look with the lenses of a solutionary who identifies problems, not just problems out there in the world around us, but problems or issues in our school, in our community, in our own lives that we can take power to change. It's a system or a mindset that doesn't focus on the problem and rather focuses on the solution to the problem and then identify the layers and levels and steps to take personalized action yourself. So to become a systems thinker and recognize that, yes, if we use a styrofoam tray in our school, this is what it's causing. These are the effects of using that styrofoam tray. How can we identify that problem and use a solutionary mindset that does the most good and the least harm, or MOGO? Um, So we would identify using a root cause tree. um, What are the systems that are putting that styrofoam use in place? How can we talk with some stakeholders in that system to understand that mindset so that we can take a perspective that allows us to propose solutions or propose options or opportunities for change that present kind of a working together or a collaborative effort Mm -hmm. to change the product that's within the system 
that we've identified as a problem product. And then it helps kids see, okay, if we're looking at styrofoam, what are our other options? Look out into the world. What can you find? So there's all kinds of example or opportunity for media literacy, for connection with the SDGs, the sustainable development goals. And if we choose this product, how is it, how is it going to affect the planet? And how can we make sure that it's a sustainable or a product that we're choosing for or from a stewardship mindset? Yeah. Um, and in that way, we come up with organic cardboard rather than plastic. Becoming a part of that process as students, like taking that initiative to create sustainable action and stewardship, like taking care of oneself and others is huge. Julia has about 120 students. Using the process she just described with the lunch trays, each of those students identifies a problem and then creates a personalized action campaign to enact solutions. Often they kind of group together. And we had last year in particular one that, you know, they'll walk down to our local elementary school and they'll read a, like a kid's version of a book and then talk about everything from environmental sustainability and stewardship in Evergreen to gender bias and gender equality Mm -hmm. as we see it in different countries in the world to water consumption and water availability in the United States or different locations in the United States versus other places in the world. And so kids start to see that they can share their own learning as a way to contribute to systemic change within the process. Yeah. And it's that's the thing that excites me the most. I'm a huge believer in public schools. Um, and I believe that we can change the system so that kids are teaching each other, owning their learning. They're stepping up for what they know they need as a part of their learning journey. They're connecting to their passions. They're looking out into the world. They're using complex and critical thinking to identify something they'd like to change. And then they're designing their own process to make that happen. That includes math, social studies, science, language arts, and all of the disciplines in a way that brings learning to life. It it activates them as learners and it creates an opportunity to give back and give to the world. So it sounds like the combination of project-based learning, activism. So if I'm understanding right, the, the Institute for Humane Education gives you sort of a framework for all of that and language around it. What other, what resources do you actually receive from them? Educators can take classes through the Institute for Humane Education that are phenomenal. You can sign up as an educator. You can sign up as a college or a high school graduate to step in. You can sign up as a pre-service teacher to step in if you know this is your lens. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's Teaching resources like actual lesson plans. Yeah. Um, so is it, cur- it's curriculum. It's mm-hmm. also professional learning. It mm-hmm. sounds like mm-hmm. there, my, and it's a community. Like that's the most important okay. part for me. Community it's very community based, like discussion, not just discussion board, but let's have a discussion. Let's talk with each other. Let's bring in um, a guest speaker and make sure that we're getting to have a discussion about whether or not this fits the solutionary model. This Mm -hmm. is an example of solutionary thinking. In my sixth grade classroom, the resources we use are the solutionary guidebook. There are two YouTube videos that are fantastic that are kind of just a guide for the solutionary process, which we 
absolutely love. We got to be a part of kind of the design board for that last year. And kids thought it was so amazing to get to be a part of a video that was being produced. What else do we use? We use, there's actually a rubric for whether or not something is MOGO. So is doing the most good and the least harm. This year, I'm super excited. We Because I've shifted content, the project gets to take on a new look, I would say. Right now, what we're doing is a study of ancient civilizations in the Western Hemisphere. And we're looking at the Aztecs, the Maya, the Inca, the Olmec, and the Toltec civilizations as examples of sustainable communities and what things worked and what things didn't and what we can learn and what we might want to leave behind. And when kids see the example of terrace farming that the Incas used to make sure that their entire civilization is fed and they recognize that if we use that, we could change everything in the world, they start to see, oh, wow, there, you know, we can learn from the past and we can move into the present and we can take what we've learned, not just as a person, but as an entire civilization and look differently at the systems that are in place. And then to understand the politics that go with that is super powerful. The co-founder of the Institute for Humane Education, Zoe Weil, is the author of seven books, including the number one Amazon bestseller, The World Becomes What We Teach, Educating a Generation of Solutionaries. Her 2010 TED Talk of the same title is one of the 50 top-rated talks of that year, and she's delivered five additional TED Talks since then, all linked in the episode notes. Among her publications is the Moonbeam Gold Medal winner, Claude and Medea, the Hellburn Dogs. It's a middle school mystery, um, Mm. and it's kind of an invitation into looking at privilege in a particular school that's fictional. How do they have conversations with themselves and each other, and what can they do once they've recognized it? And that is a huge, especially for my community and my school in Evergreen, that conversation is very real. It's very raw. It's very alive. It's very much at the table in our community. And so it's powerful. And from there, we'll do different types of personalized action projects. We have a sustainability one going on right now. We have a food waste campaign in our um, Love that. starting up in our cafeteria and the connection to climate change and food waste. Um, so I'll have all of these initiatives come from your students. Mm-hmm. And this, uh, you said there are lesson plans and there is curriculum, but it's it's not necessarily a core content curriculum, it sounds like. Is it something that you just overlay all your other content areas? It's a way of teaching versus? Yes, it's definitely, I would say it's a mindset. There are actual resources like you could watch Zoe's video on true price. And there are resources that connect to like, what is the true price? So it could be a unit of study. Mm -hmm. It could be a unit. Your social studies or within your English language arts or within your science. Yep. Totally could be. I use it more as that, like you just said, way of thinking. It's part of our design process when we're creating our personalized action campaigns. Mm -hmm. Um, And then at the end of the year, we do a solutionary summit. So each kiddo shares out what they've created in our community from product to actual introduction of stakeholders who help them meet their goal or create the change that they had designed. These are all the kids that will someday be doing TED Talks because they had 
this unique idea about how to solve some problem or address mm-hmm. some issue, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and it's, you've, you've talked a lot about environmental issues, which of course are at the forefront, hopefully mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. all of our minds. Um, but it's, it could be other things too, right? What are some of the 100%. favorite, favorite projects that some of your kids have done? In our school in particular, over the past three years, we've had so many kids connect to good health and well-being, specifically mental health and how to deal with what's been happening in the world. Um, and so one of my very favorite campaigns last year is called Mental Health Mondays. This group proposed to our principal that on Mondays, we take a special amount, of, like 20 minutes at the start of the day to just allow everyone to get a feel for the week. So we start our Mondays in that way. And then on, we have advised classes where we purposefully connect and create community across the school to deal with stress, to deal with bullying, to deal with some of those middle school issues mm-hmm. that otherwise don't have space or can get pushed to the side in a yeah. core content classroom. So kids, again, proposing to our principal to say, we need this. Can you help us structure this into our day? And then opening it up. So it is the kind of thing that a single teacher could reach out to Institute for Humane Education. They could get teaching resources, curriculum resources. They could get training. Um, they yep. could do courses. Yes, 100%. Or it could be a whole school or even a whole district that could yes. then identify as solutionaries and Institute for Humane Education would yes. partner and with And that would be phenomenal. Like There are those groups of teachers who are doing that right now. The Institute for Humane Education has a campaign out right now for teachers doing exactly that. So groups of teachers within schools and school districts who are becoming PLCs, so professional learning communities that are taking the course together, launching that into their classroom. But it's what fits for you, I would say. So what would you say, Julia, that you've been able to achieve with your students as a result of the Institute for Humane Education and the resources they've provided that you maybe wouldn't have been able to achieve otherwise? Hmm. So right when you said that, a picture came into my head and it's a picture of Zoe actually sitting with my students and we all like have our glasses on, right? Our solutionary lenses on. And I think that particular photograph is a perfect testament to, you know, I get to put lenses on that signify that I am somebody on this planet. I can make a difference in my community I have a process that I can use to identify an issue as a sixth grader or as an almost teenager on this planet and step out into the world and go collaborate with others to make it happen. To help kids identify step-by-step a process that helps them to clearly identify the ways that they can step up not just to be their own best person, but in a way that helps and frames everyone getting to be their best person, every animal, every organism, the the ecosystem that we live on, that there is that balance and there is a way to honor every living thing and that public education can be that platform. How much has this amplified student voice just given them a voice and given them a sense of power to know that they have, that they can act on things that matter to them and that feel pressing and important to them? Hugely. It just, I mean, it's, 
powerful to hear a kiddo say, you know what? I didn't understand that when I read it in the book, but now that you're showing me how I'm seeing in the world and how we can take action to stop it, mm-hmm. I understand specifically the steps I can take to make a difference. It's huge. Yeah. So how do you bring this back to just, you know, because we have to, right? As teachers, we bring it back to standards and assessment and how do we measure student outcomes and their academic outcomes? How does that merge? So as a language arts teacher, I can tell you, I'm still carving those pathways for world studies, which technically falls in social studies. But one of my learning targets for social studies is empowering students to take initiative to become informed and active global citizens. So it's natural for social studies. For language arts, it was a lot about expression, just personal expression and how you choose to write, read, and share with the world the most important parts of you. So how do I assess that data-wise? Presentation at the end of the year at the Solutionary Summit is a perfect performance assessment for all of those things. Mm. Um, And we measure from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, everything from writing on a slideshow that they might be using in their presentation to the oral skills they're using to listen to a stakeholder as a stakeholder explains something to them on the phone to standing up in front of an audience and presenting, to the connections they're making, to the actual creation of in the campaign, whatever that means to them. So there's elements of every content. Tell us a little bit more about the summit. So we launched the Solutionary Summit during COVID. So that was a little tricky. The first Solutionary Summit became our involvement with, do you know, Take Action EDU through Jennifer Williams. So Jennifer Williams is the, and Kuhn Timmers are the co-founders of an organization called Take Action EDU. It is the organization that organizes the Climate Action Project. So we were involved with the finale day and we got to present the projects that we had created through that year. Let's see, the first group that shared was Baxter and Xander. I still remember. They created Solutionary Studios, they created a website and because they thought everyone's kids are like online right now. Everyone's looking at YouTube for learning. And so they created a website and created a YouTube channel and they started sharing out all of the learning they had about being a solutionary. And they did something for Black Lives Matter. Lives Matter. They did something for good health and well-being. They create, so their personalized action campaign was awareness raising campaign through a website. Another project then that was shared was a kiddo whose dad was struggling because his business required him to travel. And so she was helping her dad figure out how he could learn the tech skills he needed to be able to navigate the business world he he was in, in a way that allowed his small business to be successful. They ended up shifting a few things around and they are now still doing that transformed business. It's spices, actually. It's really cool. So that first Solutionary Summit looked different. The second Solutionary Summit for that second year didn't happen. We had a COVID outbreak. And then last year, we got together as a community and we got to share in our library, our hub, all of the different presentations. We modeled it after a UN summit in a few ways. 
But what we did was try to create it so that everyone had the floor, everyone could speak to their project, and then they had an interactive element where they had to perform or invite audience input in some way so that everyone was a part of everyone else's projects. It's just about sharing and becoming a part of each other's learning and action steps in a way that keeps it alive, like creates momentum so that every project is honored. Who would you recommend this to? What teachers? Hmm. Well, my entire school. I'm working on that. Definitely. Yeah. I would recommend it to teachers who are feel flat right now. So mm. teachers who feel disconnected from education and the system of education. Changing public education is one of my biggest callings in life. And it there is a door open for that to happen right now. And I think it is the solutionary framework that can help all teachers do that um, yeah. from the inside out. So I would say those teachers, teachers who are just starting, hopefully we still have some teachers who are deciding to come in and take on this challenge, but it's teachers who are for wanting a deeper connection with education and learning in general and who recognize the difference between learning and schooling. Yeah, okay. And K-12? K-12, yes. I think even in a kindergarten classroom, definitely in a high school, across the board. Higher ed too, for sure. You can get the Institute for Humane Education's Solutionary Guidebook and learn more about their Solutionary Micro-Credential online course at edcuration.com. Links for these and all books, TED Talks, and resources referenced in the episode can be found in the episode notes. We're so pleased that you joined us today to hear about how both you and your students can develop a solutionary mindset to face the challenges of our society and world. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to comment, like, follow, and share. And we hope you'll join us again next week to continue reshaping learning with the Ed Curation Podcast.